Breaking down Wisconsin basketball. This is The Swing with Zach Heilprin and Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Swing. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's Jesse Temple from The Athletic. I am back. Uh, I know there. I got a number of messages, Jesse, that you guys had such a good time last week with with Grant that uh, they were wondering if Grant could come back every week. Unfortunately, he's at the Super Bowl this week, so maybe we'll get him on later this season. But I appreciate you guys doing that last week, uh, and hopefully, um, I won't have to miss too many more. Uh, hopefully, Wisconsin does not have a week like it did the past week. Uh, they lose at Nebraska by. Uh, blowing an 18-point lead, second-half lead, I should say, and then uh, can't get it done at home against Purdue, number two Purdue, to drop to uh, 7-3 and three overall in Big Ten play, now tied for second with Illinois. It was not the kind of week that anybody was hoping for. 1-1 one and one would have been great, and 1-1 one and one was probably not a best-case scenario, but certainly something that you could have seen after you jump out to an 18-point lead in Nebraska, but unfortunately for Wisconsin, it starts, they go to the week, or they end the week 0-2. Yeah, I think on the macro level, if you would have said at the start of the year, Wisconsin would be 17 and five overall, eight and three in the Big Ten and tied for second. People would have taken that. But obviously, the micro level is we know where they were a week ago playing great basketball. And as you laid out, lost to Nebraska in a game that Wisconsin should have won and lost to a Purdue team that frankly has all the pieces to win the national championship. Maybe this will be the Purdue team that doesn't uh, collapse early like we've seen so many times. Maybe. Doesn't Purdue? (laughs) but Purdue uh, just had all the answers. And uh, now Wisconsin's in a spot where they really haven't had something. I I guess they did the first couple games. You know, they didn't play well against Providence, which was coming off a loss not too uh, long ago or or earlier against Tennessee. But now we're talking about back-to-back Big Ten losses where if you want to stay within striking distance of winning a Big Ten regular season title, you're going to have to put it together real quick because there's just no time to sulk. Yeah, I misspoke. They're they're eight and three in Big Ten play, tied with still tied with Illinois, but still a game and a half back of Purdue. Illinois and Wisconsin are two games up on Northwestern, who's six and five. Michigan State also six and five, and uh, Wisconsin would hold the tiebreaker against either one of those because they beat Northwestern and don't play them again, and also swept Michigan State. But looking at I misspoke too. I think I said Wisconsin was seventeen and five. They're sixteen and six. Illinois is seventeen and five. So yeah, we're we're tied. Um, Right. So either way. You're right. Wisconsin did have those back-to-back losses to begin. Well, not to begin the year, but uh, right there near the beginning of the year against Tennessee and Providence. They went and then ran off six straight before running to Arizona, and then they went on another uh, winning streak. So they certainly uh, have the ability to bounce back. And this week, this this coming week, is a week that you feel like you could. I mean, Michigan on Wednesday, Michigan is in last place. I believe they're two and nine in conference play. And then you have uh, a Rutgers team who... Uh, also has struggled at times in uh, in conference play and is sitting there just uh, one game ahead of Michigan at three and seven. However, going to Michigan or going to more more going to Rutgers. Rutgers never an easy place to play, but those are two games that you absolutely have to win. Going after going zero and two this week, you have to go two and zero this week. Yeah, no doubt about it. And even they if have you a don't chance. end up right, even if you don't end up winning the Big Ten, you want to put yourself in a good position to be a top three. I mean, it feels, I'm not going to say an absolute slam dunk, but like the, there's a clear delineation of that has been established. It produced, this is the best team in the big 10 and, and Wisconsin and Illinois are right there a little below. And after that are just a bunch of teams that are beating each other up. But 
you want to put a little run together here again and put yourself in a position for the end of the season because right around the corner is a home game against Illinois and you play Rutgers and then you close the regular season at Purdue. So it'd be certainly be a lot more fun for the Badgers to be within striking distance there at the end. Yeah, I mean, look, they play Michigan, Rutgers, and Ohio State in the next three, and all three of those teams are currently uh, at the bottom of the conference. They um, So they don't get Penn State again. They do get Maryland. Um, but there is there are winnable games here before you get to the closing stretch of versus Illinois, then Rutgers at home, and then at Purdue. That is uh, a tough stretch to begin with. All right. So let's go back to let's go back to Thursday night uh in Lincoln when they went up 18. We were at Monks and Sun Prairie. We we're doing uh Temple and Heilprint. We'll be there again this Thursday from six to seven. And we were talking about that game. We were wondering which game are we we kind of had a overreaction or no. It's uh, the the Purdue game or is a they have a better chance of winning the Purdue game than they do the Nebraska game. And I, I went with Purdue. I, I thought they had a better chance of winning the Purdue game. And then they jump out to that big lead against Nebraska and eventually blow it. And it's the exact same thing that happened last year. They just did it uh, with one more point. Uh, but they last year lost. They had a 17-point lead, lost it, and then lost in overtime. Same thing kind of happened uh, this time around. Is that a situation where you just shrug your shoulders and it's it's Nebraska? Or can you take anything from that game? feel like it's both like okay. we talked on well we talked on temple and heilprint as well about how ridiculous nebraska was at home what are they 14 and one now 13 and one yet 14 one and, and one. five on the road yeah um so there's something to be said for that on the other hand if you are the team that wisconsin has been there's no excuse for blowing an 18 point lead <laughs> i mean you put yourself in that position aj store has a jumper and wisconsin takes a 47 29 lead with about 17 minutes left and even with 12 minutes left or so, a little over 12 minutes. It was still a double-digit lead, but Wisconsin just could not score, could not get stops, and ended up losing that game, obviously, in overtime. So the, the thing is, if you want to have that truly special season, you you just can't have games like this. So, I, I, I mean, I don't know what to make of it in the big picture other than that followed by a loss to Purdue puts you in a spot where you absolutely need to be able to respond. Yeah. The Nebraska game again, and and maybe some of the things uh, still applied to the Purdue game. The one thing that didn't was the turnovers. They didn't, they barely turned the ball over at all against um, Purdue, but they turned it over 16 times against Nebraska. And they, they turned it over a bunch against them last year as well. The 16 turnovers matched the most since 2019. The only time that they've, or excuse me, 2018, the only time they've turned it over uh, that 16 times since then was the, tournament game in Milwaukee against Iowa State when they didn't have a point guard. So the turnovers were obviously such a huge thing. But the thing that that was the same exact against Nebraska as it was against Purdue was shot selection. Um, the the inability to get to the line, the free throw line. And again, against Purdue, Zach E's there. Nebraska did not have that. Um, Wisconsin settled. It felt like way, way too much. And it led to just a, a significant um, deficit uh, at the free throw line, I believe Nebraska outscored them 19 to eight at the free throw line. Wisconsin barely shot any free throws in the second half until very, very late. And then they got a couple in the in, in overtime. But Nebraska just beat them at the free throw line, took the ball away from them. And Wisconsin shot selection was just 
horrendous. And that carry kind of carried over to Nebraska or to the Purdue game. Well, I do want to touch on the turnover situation because obviously no Wisconsin team is going to win when you've got eight assists and 16 turnovers. But we've spent weeks talking about how good Wisconsin has been in terms of adjusted offensive efficiency in those Ken Palm rankings. And even now, they are still ninth in the country, which is outstanding. But this is still a team that does not play at a high tempo. Their adjusted tempo ranking nationally is 317. That's out of 362 Division I teams. And I point that out to say that when you don't have a lot of possessions, turning the ball over 16 times is a recipe for disaster. Now, that probably sounds obvious, but I just wanted to hammer home that point that Wisconsin is not going to win, even as great as they've been offensively for long stretches, by turning the ball over that much. And you mentioned the shot selection. I also think, how long did we spend talking about this team not having to rely on three-pointers like well this team is built for sustained success and I'm not saying that they're suddenly not built for sustained success but you shoot 31 three-pointers against Nebraska and I realize that comes in part with an extra five minutes that's just too many in my mind especially if you're only going to make 10 of them um and they didn't shoot it they shot even worse against Purdue they went three for 19 so those are a couple of factors absolutely that are contributing to, to where Wisconsin is right now yeah, so uh, the three-point thing, they were able to overcome that earlier in the year, not shooting it well and not shooting, I guess, a ton of them because they were able to get to the line. Like, you can, and, and you know, be good around the basket. And they were fine around, they were fine around the basket, I guess, to an extent against against uh, uh, Purdue. Certainly not against Nebraska. I mean, when Stephen Crowell takes two shots, and I understand that they're sending uh doubles towards him on a, on a regular basis and sometimes they'll fake it and it'll, you know he'll he'll think it's coming and, and and get rid of the ball anyways but they the the free throw aspect of it is is huge if you're going to continue to be an efficient offense uh when not making three pointers you have to get to the line and they uh certainly did not do that against Nebraska they they were i guess better against Purdue but still AJ Store going four for fifteen and continuing to take those outside shots and take take some of the shots that um, are not necessarily high percentage shots. Uh, yeah. When instead you can at least I don't know force Zach Eating to make a play on you when you're coming downhill. Um, those are that that to me and and I guess maybe that's why Greg Garden I don't want to say benched him but kind of benched him towards the end of the, the end of the game uh, against Purdue. I know he didn't. I think he came out. Three minutes left, didn't come back in. So there are that that at least uh, maybe is an indication of where Greg Gard is at mentally with with some of the shot shot selection as a team as a whole, but maybe AJ Store specifically. Yeah, I think there are times where it seems like AJ gets a little wound up, wants to make the big play every time, and we he is we know he's capable of making shots. I mean, he was coming off a, a big game, obviously against Nebraska where he scored 28 points and made five, three pointers, but there's something to be said for understanding where you're at in a given game. And if it's not falling, I mean, his, his buckets in that game were at the rim. My favorite was probably, it was the first half he drove and he had a lay in at the rim, right on Zach Eady, just showing fearlessness, but his ability to get to the rim is something that can really separate him. And you obviously need your best player or your best scorer to be, more efficient than four for 15. I, I do. I'm sure we'll get to this, but Tyler wall played absolutely out of his mind, man. It just, yeah. every, every tool he had on the tool belt, he used against stack Eady and nobody could stop him. And then that is a big reason why Wisconsin was even in it toward the end. 
Yeah, he had 20 points. He was 10 for 16. Uh, obviously, most of his damage. I mean, they have guarded him like that before, where Zach Eady is essentially just chilling in the lane while Tyler Wall is in the game. Uh, they're, they're, there's, you know, they're not worried about him uh, taking an outside shot and for good reason. That's that's not his game, but he filled it up, man. He, he wasn't just the scoring. He had seven rebounds, six of them on the offensive end. He had five assists. He had two blocks. He had three steals. Um, that was probably his best complete game this year. He did. He was fantastic uh, in what they asked him to do. Now, that said, there there's also the idea of it's very hard to run offense when you just have Zach Eady chilling in the lane because they're not scared of Tyler Wall. <laughs> um, so it, I, while he was great, I thought it kind of affected the rest of the offense and and continues to do so. Not as much as when Carter Gilmore is in the game and you don't have to worry about him doing anything offensively. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Tyler, Tyler was great. Tyler was great. He, he took advantage of all the situations that were available to him and uh, I thought did a really good job maneuvering himself around and, and really played such a huge role in, in them even being in that game. But um, again, that's the way that they were able to play him. I thought really kind of messed with the rest of the offensive efficiency. Yeah. I mean, he took one three and he badly missed it and ended up getting the offensive rebound and scoring anyway. But I, I just don't know what you do. I mean, you can say be more efficient dealing with Zach Eady on both ends is just such a challenge. I mean, think of the play where, Steven had the ball and he was going, he was on the, the baseline, I think on the right side and he was kind of floated it up and like, you just yeah. can't do that. Edie came over <laughs> and swatted it. He's the national player of the year. He's going to be national player of the year again. It's funny because you look at the stat line and you kind of think like, ah, eh, that wasn't all that great of a game. And he still finished with 18 and 13 and obviously the three blocks. And I just don't know what you do with that team because you try and double him, but they have such great shooters that, they're just lethal. I mean, they had four guys who, when they needed a bucket, they could go to any of those four guys and they were able to get it. Yeah, but it's not like they shot cool. Like, if they're hitting the the mid-range jumpers off the... I mean, that Wisconsin didn't guard it necessarily great in the first half, especially Braden Smith, but yeah, if they're, if they're hitting that, I don't, I don't know what you do. Uh, like, long twos. Those were long twos. They yep. and, and yes, they were... Some of them were uncontested looks, but they're still long twos. They're what you would consider the worst shots in basketball. And uh, they hit some of them. And that makes it almost impossible to to guard Purdue if they're going to hit those shots. It's not like they it's not like they stroked it from deep, right? Like, I mean, they had they went three for 11 for the game, but they had so they hit so many key baskets at key times. And when they didn't hit those baskets, they were able to get the rebound and find another way. Uh, to put the ball in. I mean, Wisconsin gave up 14 offensive rebounds, six of them to to Zach Eady, but they turned that into 21 points. And there was there was a sequence, and I want to I just want to make sure I'm going to go back here and, and I want to make sure exactly uh, I have this exactly right before I before I say this. But Wisconsin had made it 59 uh, 57 with 4:46 left uh, when Tyler Wall missed that three that you mentioned and and, mm -hmm. and made the layup. They come back the other way. Uh, Zach Eady misses a free throw. Offense, they get an offensive rebound, and Lance Jones gets the uh, the basket after that. And then Max misses a free throw at the other end, and Mason Gills comes back down, hits a or, you know shoots a three pointer. They don't get it. They get the off. Uh, excuse me. They he doesn't hit it, but they get the offensive rebound. There's a timeout, and then they come back on the other side, and and Edie hits a shot. So 
It goes from 59-57 to 63-57. Wisconsin never got within uh, five points or closer than five points again the rest of the game. The offensive rebound was just massive, massive, and especially in, in key situations. Yeah, obviously all that stuff matters, and it's very uncharacteristic for Max to miss the front end of a one-and-one. One. You usually expect that to be two automatic points, and so those are the things that can make the difference, and and you're right. Um, they did hit some tough shots. Every time they came off a screen and had like a an elbow lane area jumper, it just yeah. felt like it was going to go in, but that is the mark of a national championship type team. Like they're 21 and two this year. And and it's more surprising when they lose those two big 10 losses that they have. So Wisconsin had plenty of opportunities to win. Um, but that's why Purdue is where it's at. And I'm really interested to see what this matchup looks like when the two meet in Mackey arena in the regular season finale. I know we've got a lot of basketball between now and then, but uh, like you want to see where you're at against the best of the best. And, and that's Purdue right now. I know we're sitting here just a day after they lost at home, but I'd be shocked if that game was close. Yeah, it's going to be really hard, especially you know what down I mean? there. Like that, that is one of the tougher places for Wisconsin to play. You, you go back and look at the times that they've actually gone down there and, and, and beaten them. Um, obviously, the, the Johnny Davis game, right? But before that, the last time they won in West Lafayette was 2014. So... That's tough for me. That's that's a little tough for me to to expect them to go down and and uh, win that game. But hey, a lot of basketball to be played before then. They still have eight games before they go down there. Um, I, big picture here. Would you be pushing the panic button at this point if you're Wisconsin? No, absolutely okay. not. Uh, I was. I, I don't think so either. I just wanted to see where your thoughts were. If they get to a point where they start. We've talked about this week, Michigan, Rutgers, obviously both road games. Oh, if, they, if, if they lose to Michigan, it's panic buttons definitely being pushed. Yeah, it, it, it's I mean, there are different levels of, of panic. It's like, well, what does this mean? Is this what this team is going to be the closer you get to March? Because as cliche as it is, you want to be peaking at the right time. And so we've seen some Wisconsin teams where they played all their good basketball early and then they just sort of ran out of steam. Now, I don't think that's what this Wisconsin team is, but there's no shame in losing on the road against Nebraska, which is a much better Nebraska team than anybody thought. They were picked in the preseason to finish 12th. That's obviously not been the case. Now losing the way that Wisconsin did with an 18 point second half lead is the thing that really makes you scratch your head. But if you start losing to some of those bottom feeders consistently and go on a losing streak, then I think it's, it's much more problematic, but I I'm more encouraged by the overall body of work at this point that they're still in a position to be top three in the big 10 and a, you know, two, three, four NCAA tournaments, depending on how things play out the rest of the way. Something we haven't talked about is, is Chucky. Mm -hmm. um, we know that he has kind of taken a step back in terms of offense. Yes. Enforcing his offense, I should say. And the sh and, and taking a lot of shots and, and having to be that guy. He's been much more of a facilitator and certainly been um, a lockdown guy. Um, I got a question from Jacob last night after the game, and I think it's a, it's a worthwhile question to ask you here. Uh, he messaged me on uh, on Twitter or X, whatever. He said, uh, I believe Chucky scored less than 10 points in seven of his last eight games, with many being below five points. Do you believe Chucky's offensive sacrifices have gone too far? Uh, he was one for six yesterday. Yeah. He scored six points 
Um, went four for four from the free throw line, did have five assists and did not turn the ball over. But do you think in a game like that, where you have some struggles with AJ store and, uh, you know, Max Klesman didn't hit a shot after halftime, are the sacrifices going too far for Chucky? It's a tough one. Um, and I knew that th- this topic was going to come up in some capacity and how Chucky he's played. He's gotten a lot of credit because even though the scoring had gone down, he was what I felt like still playing his best basketball. We talked about how much leaner and faster he seemed to be and the assists going way up, rebounds, steals, all that stuff. But then you start to look here in this really tough stretch and he's only had one game in the last that was just mentioned where it was what you needed, where he got gave you 13 points against Nebraska. He he goes one for six against Purdue, but he also went one for six against Michigan State and Minnesota, and he was two for six against Indiana. 0 for four from the field with zero points in that loss to Penn State. So it's a tough balance because we know he's capable of scoring more, but we also know what has led to the overall success of this team. I do think he needs to figure out how to pick and choose his spots and to get to the rim and to be more aggressive because he's also a really good free throw shooter when he can get there. I mean, he's making 75% of his free throws. So I I don't know exactly what the answer is. I do know that this offense, a big part of it, obviously is dictated by what Chucky decides to do with those ball screens. And he's exactly the kind of guy that you want in those situations because he's such a good decision maker. But if he can be a little bit more aggressive and get to the rim, that's obviously going to help this team. So I, I don't know how you put him in those kinds of situations other than to say like, hey, have this mindset of being more aggressive. And if you should draw a couple defenders, kick it to the open man. How difficult is it for a guy like that to to have to pick and choose? It's it's a feel thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think it absolutely is. Um, and it is tough because they were winning a lot of these games where he wasn't taking a ton of shots. Um, I mean, they beat Northwestern in a game where he played 36 minutes and took three shots and scored four points. But yet we talked how much his assist to turnover ratio has been so good. So it, I don't know. I do think a lot of it is feel. I think that's kind of the game of basketball um, in a lot of ways. But you need to recognize if your leading scorer is having a tough night and you need a bucket, he's got all the talent in the world to be able to do that. It's just figuring out how do you do that within the flow of the game. And he, like it, this is not like last year where and then obviously he was taking a lot more shots last year than he was the year before. Um, and he's taking uh, about the same amount of shots this year as he did as his freshman year. I'm talking, I'm actually referring to his two point shots because I, I think a lot of people have, have questioned his ability to finish around the rim, which was a, a huge concern last year. I mean, he shot 35% from, uh, uh, from for twos last year. He's at 46% right now, but obviously again, taking, you know, nearly three shots fewer per game. I was to say like uh, two and a half shots fewer per game from two, the biggest, the biggest thing for me, and the biggest I, that I still like struggle, and I, I don't know what you can do about it, other, is other than just keep shooting. Is just three point shooting. It just doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. I mean, the guy who shot forty percent from three last year, he was thirty, nearly thirty five as a freshman, um, and he's taken about the same number this year as he did as a freshman, and he's shooting twenty five percent. Like that, at some point, doesn't that have to turn around for him, or is it just going to be one of those years? Because I. Usually, or it has at times, is like you get off to a slow start. You get off to a slow start, uh, uh, like the first couple of games of last year, and then he really turned it on. Just hasn't turned on for him this year. 
Yeah, he's five for 27 since the Ohio State game on January 10th. I don't know exactly what to make of it. You're so deep into a season that at a certain point, I kind of feel like you have to say, well, this is just what's happening this year um, and find other ways to score or find other ways to help the team, which he's been doing. But yeah, I mean, this is as a team, they're shooting 35% from three and they've got some guys who have hit it at a high rate. John Blackwell's at 50%. Obviously, Max has been on fire at various portions and Stephen Crowell in a limited sample size has shot it well. But for the guys who aren't hitting, you just have to figure out other ways and I, you know, it's not a stretch to say as as Chucky goes, so goes this team because of how often he's got the ball in his hands and how all the decisions kind of ride on him. Yeah, the the one thing that really stood out, and he didn't hit any three pointers yesterday, but I thought uh, Connor Siegen really mm-hmm. did a lot of things other than other than hitting some threes that you're expecting him to hit. It was really really good in, in other aspects of the offense. I yeah, thought. I like his I like his mid range ability. Um, I mean, he hit the really crazy shot, shot from the yeah, yeah the left uh, wing baseline area, but he's shooting it with confidence. He's shooting it with everything that you'd want him to have. And I mean, he got twelve minutes. I think we talked before about what exactly does this look like for Connor. And I said, best case scenario, it felt like based on the way the rotations had gone, would be ten to fifteen minutes. And he's giving you something positive and productive, even though he went. Oh, for four on three pointers, you still feel good about a lot of those shots that he's taken, particularly in the mid range, which is an area that I think he's gotten better at. So come that Purdue game on March 10th. Yeah. Where's Wisconsin in the standings? Do you think, do you think that game is, do you think that game is for the big 10 title or or do you think Purdue's already clinched it and Wisconsin's just, just going down there? The way things have played out, I'll be surprised if it's for the big 10 title. Um, you know, I think Wisconsin, this may be an easy answer. They're either in second or third. And I think it's, I look more at the game where Illinois has got to come to the Cole center and that could be the decider between second and third. I just don't see, first of all, I don't see Wisconsin sliding enough to fall out of the top three. And I'm not sure I see one of those other teams suddenly rising up. It's I mean, Northwestern and Michigan state are both six and five and Nebraska six and six. That's a long way to go to get to where Purdue is and then obviously Illinois and Wisconsin. So I don't know if I see him in the last game of the regular season having a shot. Like Purdue's won seven in a row now. They're playing great basketball. So I think it's probably either second or third for Wisconsin at this point. I know we talked about it on Thursday night, but that Chris Collins freak out is just still still so funny to me. Uh, Tremendous. When, you talk, when you talk about Purdue playing great basketball, they are. Um, that game... Northwestern, you know, them shooting 45 free throws and Northwestern getting eight um, is still so funny. But also Chris Collins reaction is just uh, that might be one of the more memorable things that's happened this college basketball season, at least for me, <laughs> um, at this point. And again, it's it's February 5th. There's going to be a whole ton of really amazing things uh, that happen. I was watching uh, Iowa State and oh, I'm not sure sh- it might have been T- TCU I, uh, on Saturday and one of the, the Pewaukee kid. Uh, Mamlovich, do you know yeah, what I'm talking I'll, about? Milan? I, I'm just going to let you pronounce it. Yeah, Milan uh, hit a bank to three and at the buzzer. It was ended up being called off. I think it was, or maybe it was Baylor. I don't know. It was like, and I, I stood up and I'm like, oh my God, it's almost March. No, it's not. It's still a month away. Uh, like it was, I, I can't wait. Can't wait for next month. There, But there, this is, I think this is because of, you look at college basketball. There is no dominant team. Like even you want to say Purdue, like Purdue is 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 the dominant team. I like they could go out in the second round. 
<laughs> we saw them last 100%. year. They went out in the first round. Like there is, there is no dominant team. This is as wide open of a of a season as I can remember. Um, certainly, UConn, the way that they they went through it last year and won it. Okay, I get that. Purdue though, but there's that we've seen different teams step up and and jump up. And next month it's going to be insane. Next month is going to be insane. And and you know the Big Ten is right now only got like six teams in in the uh, projected to be in the tournament, which feels obviously about right based on what we've seen from the conference. But there is just there, there is no dominant team in college basketball. I can't wait for next month. Well, it's funny because I remember two months ago we were having our conversation after the Wisconsin Arizona game, and I was just raving about Arizona, saying they're, they're yeah. the best team in college basketball. They're so complete, and I mean, it's kind of hard to argue after the way they just right. absolutely destroyed Wisconsin, and they lose to Purdue, and obviously they have this double overtime loss against a really good Florida Atlantic team, but they lost by eighteen to Stanford. They lost at Washington State. They lost at Oregon State. Like. To your point, it is completely wide open and teams who look like they're national championship contenders can look awful the next day. And that's what makes college basketball so much fun in a lot of years. And that's why March Madness is going to be especially insane. Yeah, that Iowa State game was against Baylor. So that was one of the that was one of the other top 25 matchups. Like as good as this weekend was supposed to be, it turned out to be pretty eh. You know what I mean? Like in terms of some of these the 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 games against with top 10 teams like North Carolina, Duke was kind of eh. Houston and Kansas was kind of eh. Um, I guess Wisconsin-Purdue was m- maybe one of the better ones. Um, but there's going to be – and what, what was it? Kentucky and Tennessee played. They That was kind of eh with Tennessee going on the road and getting the win. But I think there's just so much good basketball still to be still to be played. I'm wondering if this week at all has, has changed your mind of what is possible for Wisconsin, um, not just in the conference race, but uh, – and again, I know we're not – Pushing the panic button. Just wondering if if anything you saw in the last week has changed your expectations for Wisconsin. Because I think your expectations, at least based on our previous conversations, have been you know potentially getting the second round of the tournament. No, it really hasn't. Or the second um, weekend, excuse me, second weekend of the tournament. Yeah, I'm not gonna let one week kind of define what this team has done in 22 games overall. They're still in a very good position. They're still going to get assuming there isn't some late season collapse, a favorable NCAA tournament seed. I mean, I don't see them being worse than a four seed unless they just start losing a bunch of games that we don't expect. And maybe that puts you in a spot where it's more of a toss up in the second round, but I've seen enough to believe that they're very capable of getting out of that first weekend. And if you do that, and maybe you do escape a game where you don't play your best, you put yourself in a position to do something really special. One more thing uh, that I, I meant to meant to ask. It's not a guy that we talked about a lot and have talked about a lot, you know, since he came in. But do you think Wisconsin's missing Kamara McGee right now? Mm-hmm. Well, I thought about that a couple games ago when they were continuing to win. Um, like he doesn't do a ton in the box score if you're just looking at scoring or something like that. But obviously, he gives. Chucky a break and Chucky just played 36 minutes against Purdue and he played 41 minutes against Nebraska. That is pushing it. I think that's an awful lot. Um, So that is the first thing that comes to my mind, but he does give you some other things like the game where he got three steals and it felt like the blink of an eye, or he can get you a couple buckets and play sound defense. So yes, I think, they're obviously losing something. He was a rotational piece on a team that was playing really good basketball 
It's just to me, maybe not as obvious as some other guys, but if nothing else, I look at the workload that Chucky has to have right now. And that's just, to me, doesn't feel tenable for the, the long haul. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be still uh, at least a, a couple more weeks. I know that's what Greg Gard said last, last week. And we'll, uh, we'll see if when he is, is able to come back, but yeah, look, they, this is the, not the same problem they ran into without Lauren Bowman, but kind of the same issue a little bit uh, when they didn't have him. What was that? Two years ago. And, and again, you know, Kamari is has, has played like played the previous year. He played obviously has plenty of experience being at UW Green Bay, and then you know was was kind of coming into his own. I think especially defensively, uh, made some was having some success uh, in a, a guy that you can maybe stick on somebody who uh, is a little bit quicker. And Kamari has that in his game, but whereas Lauren, we didn't really know anything about Lauren Osbart. He never was on the floor enough to be able to have that but he was expected to be their backup point guard that year and he ended up not doing that obviously because of um you know outside things you're going to get Kamari back here at some point and I think it's I think he is important I think he is important maybe we maybe overlooked it earlier in the year based on what we've seen these last uh, few weeks without him I think that's certainly fair to say uh again Wisconsin will be at Michigan on Wednesday and then at or uh, Rutgers this weekend and then home to Ohio State next week. We'll be back before the Ohio State game to break it all down and uh, talk about it. We'll also be at Monks on Thursday in Sun Prairie for uh, Temple and Heilper. And obviously we'll talk basketball that night and including as well as uh, football. Um, maybe we'll talk a little, maybe we'll talk a little hockey, Wisconsin hockey team coming over really, really playing well. We don't have a hockey podcast. So we'll talk about it maybe on Thursday night. Uh, I know Jesse's written a little bit about the hockey team. You're a big hockey guy, right? Huge hockey guy. I definitely know all the guy. rules. <laughs> um, so again, we'll we'll talk about that on on Thursday night at Monks. Uh, Jesse, anything else you wanted to hit on? I think we got it. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from the Athletic. You've been listening to the Swing.